0: Welcome, James Buckley. Say what? Say what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, James is my guest today. Essentially, what we're going to be talking about today is what's going right, what's going wrong in sales. We're going to pick it apart, and we're probably going to have a little bit of an argument along the way, because that makes for some entertainment. So James, 60 seconds on your history, please. How, How did you get here?
1: Yeah, I cut my teeth in door-to-door sales, residential, and B2B, but I was also a cook for 15 years. In and out of the kitchen, I would do sales. Turns out, people like talking to me. So I quickly went, uh, I went back to college uh, after a quick battle with some cocaine addiction. I got a degree. I stepped away from the, the life I had, and I just started focusing on what I could do to better my life. In 2015, I started in SaaS. I didn't even know what Salesforce was. It was all a mystery to me. But I had had some tech experience in the past working with Windows 2000 and Windows XP, for those of you that are dating <laughs> that are dating me right now. So that was my my tech introduction, was being a network specialist at the University of Miami and helping people out. I started in SaaS. I was a cold caller. That's my gift. I love cold calling. I just pick up the phone and I dial phone numbers and I talk to people. Amazing. <laughs> And that was what set me on a path to Say What Sales. 2016, I started my own brand, Say What Sales. I traveled the world with Cirrus Insight, met tons of great people, started my own kind of like internal network. And that's what led me to John Barrows. He called me in 2019 and said, and this is how he pitched me on the job. I'm not making this up. He said, the way you make people feel is amazing. You want to do it with me? (laughs) I, I said, sign me up. And I've been here ever since. And now I have the pleasure of hosting a daily sales show every day where I get to interview great salespeople and help other people sell better. That's our job. Sellbetter.xyz. Check it out.
0: Excellent. And you'll notice he hasn't invited me on, so I don't qualify. <laughs> That's
1: not the case. That's not the case. And we will work it out. Let's make it happen.
0: That was me being passively needy.
1: I hear you. I hear
0: I'm hearing what you're saying,
1: Marcus. I'm hearing it. Love me. Love me, please. Love me. <laughs> How do you make them love you without affecting free will? <laughs> the salesperson's problem, isn't it? <laughs> well, again, this is one of the really interesting
0: things. I don't think people really have a good handle on what sales and selling really is. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious how you would define it. And I'd be very curious, once you've defined it, to discuss
1: intent. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to give quick definitions. First, I'm going to say that sales is helping people for money. (laughs) Okay. That's as simple of a definition as I can make it. I'm going to help you solve a problem or improve a specific situation that you're in in exchange for monetary gain. That's sales. And it could be a service. It could be a product. Whatever you want to sell, sell it, right? You could sell your time if you want to. It's valuable somewhere. The second thing I'll say is that sales is giving a shit about who you're talking to and what you're giving to them in exchange for that money. Those two things are my definition, and I think that I've been on that definition for a little while now, and it's helped me to understand my value as a sales professional and the value that I give people that I engage with. Okay, so now we've defined that,
0: tell me this, intent. You said you got to give a shit. Before you pick up the phone, I'm really curious because obviously you're a master at this, Tell me what's your intent when you pick up the phone to a prospect for the very first time when they pick up?
1: I intend to earn a few more seconds of talk time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, the first time I call. So I do it in this way. This is my exact opener. This is what I actually say to people. First, I verify that it's them. So if I was calling you, Marcus, and you were a VP of sales, I would say, is this Marcus, please? Now you'll notice a downward inflection. That's because I'm looking for a yes, this is Marcus, or One second, let me get them for you, or I'll put you through to his voicemail, depending on which one I get back, is where I go with the next part of it. Is this Marcus, please? Downward inflection, ultimate sales machine, Chet Holmes, again, dating myself, sorry. (laughs) But after they say, this is Marcus, I say, Marcus, thank you for taking the call. The reason I'm reaching out is, that's it. And I go right into it. And the reason I'm reaching out is, people like you tell me they struggle with X. They use my Y to get Z. Simple, easy want to have a conversation? Usually it can be answered of one of two ways. Yeah, let's do it. I'm not interested. Thanks. Some level of that. I'm fine with I'm not interested. You don't even know who I am. What I now know is that this is a valid phone number. Mm -hmm. And this person will talk back to me if I say the right things. Mm -hmm. And now I can go through my ridiculous intros that I have, and I have a laundry list of them. And I can find the one that resonates with this person the best. By going on and doing more research about them, five minutes, set a timer, five minutes. If you can't find a relevant reason to talk to someone in five minutes, you probably shouldn't be talking to that person. (laughs) (laughs) Good rule of thumb.
0: Okay. And how detailed does the research go after that first call then?
1: So that depends on how that first call goes that I actually get to have a conversation. I do another opener sometimes. My next touch after I cold call again for a second time after they gave me the soft not interested, the brush off. and I'll say, do you have a second before your next meeting? It's the same opener, but instead of the reason I'm calling is I go, do you have a second before your next meeting? And that steals their ability to say, I'm in a meeting, which is really mm-hmm. silly, right? But I steal it away and they only they say yes, they say no, or they say the third one, which is probably the more common one, who is this? And this is where I earn the right to say my name. And I say, well, my name's James, and that's all I give them. My name's James, and the reason I'm calling is. <laughs> and I go right back into it, but this time, I say something else. This time I go, I I wanna have a conversation with you. No one's trying to pitch slap you here. And I use the word pitch slap and it gets a laugh pretty much every time. It's probably my favorite term in sales right now, pitch slap, right? But, and I usually call out a trigger, something I did the research on, even if it's in the past. Notice you guys were hiring new salespeople. I help new salespeople onboard quickly so they can be productive fast. You want to have this conversation now, or do you want to put something on the calendar? And I give them that choice. People that say, I don't have my calendar in front of me are lying to you. <laughs> yeah, they have a phone. They're literally holding it in front of them, or it's on a tab in front of the computer that they're sitting in right now. They're sitting in front of right now. Yeah. So, I, you know, this is something that I do pretty regularly, but I'm a phone person. After the, file, after the phone call, I will do uh, the John Barrows classic summary email. I actually have a link. I'll put it in the chat here. Hang on. Yes, I have a link. So this is a summary email that we always recommend people send. It's to keep the momentum going. So here's the summary email. Bam, right here in the chat. Thank you. That's a great nugget to take away. We send this right after. And the the key is like, you'll notice that there's a question at the end of this where it's like, did I miss anything? Or would you like to add anything? This is a great way for them to like feel what you guys talked about and then get back. Oh, yeah. You know, we also said this. Don't forget this. It's very important. That's a chance for them to add something to your next conversation, which you should have gotten on the call. You should have nailed. Okay. The question I'm always asking myself is why
0: do people do what they do? And you're a history geek. Presumably, you've got broader interests in that because chances are it's dragged you into uh, psychology, behavioral economics, economics, politics, and God knows what else. Sociology. Don't forget sociology. And sociology as well. And uh, gestalt. That was my uh, minor. I'm really curious because what, I te- what I'm seeing more and more of is people with very limited range becoming expert technicians with incredible depth. But what they don't have is range. And what you're describing is range. What I have is range. We- we've read around. We've got broad uh, business uh, exposure. I've worked in 500 market segments. And frankly, the problems are all the same. The number of zeros are different. But at the end of the day, most of it is the six inches between people's
1: ears. We train people that sell small $500 average contract values and people that sell $5 million contract values. Yeah, If you can dial in your ICP, your ideal customer profile, you can learn what their acumen is. I can't stress the importance of what Marcus just said here. Our experience is what has led us down this path. We have worked in a lot of industries, talked to a lot of people. I, if I had to count the number of people I have cold called in my time, it would be an astronomical number. And I know a lot of salespeople that are very good performing salespeople that default to these things that they've learned over time how to do well. It takes time. It's supposed to take time. You can't come in. I see this all the time. And this is a very common trend. And we could talk about the economics of this if you like. I'm happy to debate it. Uh Uh salespeople come in and they come from another industry they come from bartending restaurant world clerical work uh retail you know they've done all kinds of stuff they sold christmas trees at their parents christmas tree farm you know whatever they come into SaaS. they come into sales they they start really excited because normally they're coming in for a different dollar amount money was the motivator it's 40 it's fifty thousand dollars a year and last year they only made 28 so they're like oh This is the most money I've ever made in my life. I need to stay here forever. I can't believe I get paid for this. I'm so happy. You guys are awesome. This is how they feel for eight months. (laughs) Then at the end of that eight months, they go, if I'm not an account executive or promoted to leader by the end of the week, I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) quit. And you're like, what happened to that starry eyed person that came in here and was so excited? The complacency and the expectation that rapid success is available. Is a myth. Now, let's be honest and say that a person's aptitude, an individual's aptitude for learning differs from individual to individual. So, one person could become quite successful in three years, but another might take six, might take eight. Maybe they never get there. We need to start knowing this as leaders and as frontline self aware salespeople. Where do we fit? Where are we in our journey? Ah, so again, let's unpack something that James has just said. Self-aware,
0: if you are not spending time in self-reflection and inviting constructive criticism without letting your tiny wiener and your massive ego get in the way, you're an idiot. I've relaunched my training business, and uh, I've got a program called Successful Selling. And we're taking real-life situations and ripping them apart and dissecting them and then putting it back together, looking at it through the eyes of the customer. And someone was gifted something that you very, very rarely get in sales, which is the customer giving an honest debrief to one of their team and accidentally CCing him. I mean, what a gift, the feedback, the value of that. And he wasn't quite sure how to take it. And my response was, send flowers, phone her up and say, I'm phoning to say thank you so much. And I owe you a massive apology. Right. First of all, I owe you a massive apology for turning up and screwing up so royally. And I owe you a massive thank you for the accident of sending me this fantastic feedback. Right. That helps me change and
1: grow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Now, very few people will do that because they're brittle and they're not vulnerable enough to do it. Now Uh, I think they also
1: feel a sense of risk. Let's not forget the fact that it is easy for feedback to be misconstrued as complaining. And every seller in the world is at least once in their career labeled as toxic. And the second you get that because you provide too much feedback or because the vehicle you choose to provide feedback on is toxic, however you want to package that to make yourself feel better, we have to learn to provide constructive feedback in a way that doesn't make us come across as toxic employees that only complain. And th- this is really very interesting
0: as well, because, you know, with Challenger, with Sandler, with uh, MedPick, you're encouraged to challenge the customer. The problem is, if you turn up and your intent is selfish, if you turn up and you are an asshole, mm. if you turn up and you use it to manipulate. Yeah. Bully, try to strong arm and convince, and you ratchet up the pain because you think that's your job. Uh, you're breaking the rule that Jimmy Carr set. My wife has told me I have to tone this down, so I'm going to change it slightly. If you meet three twants by 12 o'clock, you're the twant. Don't be a twunt. <laughs> OK? So I did have to say, t- See, Suzanne, I do listen. I see what you did there. I see. <laughs> yeah, it, but it'll pass muster but don't break the Jimmy Carr rule. It's the first rule of selling. Just turn up and be
1: human. The thing that I think is hard is that we tell, and I, you know, John, my, so my, my boss, my friend, my colleague, my, my mentor, someone I've always looked up to, and now I have the pleasure of working with him and creating all this great content and creating this community of salespeople that we're building. He said to me once, it's not your job, and every salesperson needs to know this. It's not our jobs. To convince and persuade people that they need what we have. Nice. It's our jobs to sell what we have to the people that need it. That looks different. It sounds different. It feels different. And the reason is intentional. It's supposed to be different. It's different on purpose. Most salespeople come in and they get things like scripts. They get things like playbooks, right? I hear a lot of people ask me for playbooks. Number one, that's not what we do here. Number mm-hmm. two, Even if I gave you a playbook, it wouldn't be yours. You would just be doing what you do, going through the motions with the playbook I made you, not giving a shit about who it is that you're reaching out to or why. And then you're gonna come back to me and you're gonna go, this didn't work. No, you didn't work it. (laughs) And
0: uh, again, I cannot stress this enough. When I've been asked to put playbooks together, I put frameworks and I put principles, and I've given them structures and samples, but no, pres- nothing prescriptive. And it's broken down into every component in terms of how you prepare, how you set up. But the, the point is, you then turn it into your own. When I train, I don't teach any technique at all. What we do is we take your live issue and we rip it to pieces, we dissect it, and put it back together again. So you understand the principles of how to behave And then you learn the technique in the right way. And this is the thing, because I I remember when back in the day, when one of my my coach told me that the origin of all of this started when the founder of one of the systems got fired from his family business. And he had to get two jobs to make the same income.
1: Mm. And he
0: was failing at both. Now. I think what happens is businesses, organizations, the sellers get complacent, they get comfortable, they get fat, dumb, and lazy, fat, dumb, and happy, and they stick to what's convenient and familiar, and they don't adapt. And that's the other big challenge, because your customers, their preferences, their focus, that's changed. The level of insight and information they have has changed. They don't need a brochure at the other end of the phone. They need an ally who's going to help them analyze what the real root cause of their problem is and fix it.
1: I agree. They need something different. Let's call it something different, right? An ally, a different approach. And I just learned about this. I was just, so so. John just did a Make It Happen Mondays episode. Very great sales podcast. Go check it out. Make It Happen Mondays airs every Monday. Stacey Hall, and she wrote a book selling from their comfort zone. Yeah. So part of me says, we have a conflicting message. Because we tell people as sales professionals that are talking heads, or even just as leaders leading a team, giving them motivation and tactical training and, you know, learnings downward. If we are teaching and and developing, and we're telling people to try something different, step out of your comfort zone, we are also then turning around in that same breath. And we're saying, you got to do what works. (laughs) Well, which one is it? Are we supposed to do what works and be pragmatic about it. And I'm a believer that pragmatism is the religion of sales. I've been saying this for years. I think that we as sales professionals have to collect data and make decisions based on data because those are the ones that matter most. And they're the ones that you can't argue. Pragmatism is the religion of sales. Stacey Hall says the same, essentially. If you find something that works, make it part of your comfort zone and then get really good in your comfort zone. Yeah. But here we are, all of our sales leaders saying you can't Get just come in and do the same things. things over and over. You gotta do something different. You gotta be unique. You gotta be magic. <laughs> I think what you got to be is present.
0: I, I learned something in the power of insecurity, I think it's called. And there was a one one phrase that came out of it that's that really resonated with me. I'll let you swallow before I say it. Okay. What if? You are this present moment.
1: Maybe I don't understand. What do you mean?
0: Okay. Well, if you are this present moment, what are you not thinking about? The next moment or the ones in the past. Absolutely. And what are you also not thinking about? Well, Your next. my, My next move. Your next move, your next question, your commission, the argument you had with Oh, me. you're
1: saying as the seller. I, as a seller, sorry, I didn't yeah, put yeah, myself. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't put myself in the position of the seller for that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't
0: clear. Okay, so as a seller, if you are this present moment, right, I'm thinking about past. You're not thinking about the future. You're just focused on the now.
1: Yeah, my my one hundred percent focus is either a problem that I'm trying to solve or a situation, an existing system, something that works that I can improve on. I think those two things are the things that sellers need to be focused on, because those are the two things that people that are buying are focused on. <laughs> they are, and it's we also need to understand their
0: motivation. And I think part of the problem is the BANT qualification process. I've always teach my clients, BANT is bollocks, um, because it is. It's a bad way of asking questions that serve the customer in no way at all.
1: So I agree, but I think the way that we leverage these methodologies. So and I'm I'm saying yep. methodologies as a whole, let's talk about BANT, spin, medic, whatever acronym you'd like to use, feel free to stick it in here. These methodologies are guides, they are not staples. And I know Absolutely. this because There's a very old one. John tells this story a lot and it's happened to me once and I know it's happened to him once and I got it from him and it bit me when I started using it because I used it too much. And I eventually hit an old school guy on a cold call and he he ended up calling me out the same way that John got called out. And this was back, I don't know, 2017, but everybody's heard of feel felt found. And the reason you've heard of feel felt found is because that's one of the original acronyms that floated around in early sales days i understand how you feel other people have felt that way too what they found was and it's very prescriptive the problem that john had was that he threw it out there the same way i did we threw it out as if it was like brand new shit and the person on the other end was a veteran they knew it so they said to john don't feel felt found me man
0: (laughs) i had exactly the same thing with the ben franklin clays I'd gone out, I bought myself Tommy Hopkins, How to Master the Art of Closing Sales, and I thought, this is fucking brilliant. And the first time I used it, I had my ass handed to me. Called out. Absolutely annihilated. And I walked out, my head was down, my tail was sagging. It was just so
1: The difference for me and John, though, was that John got called out for using an outdated technique that. An older salesperson recognized. I got called out for using John's technique.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a that's a problem with using rusty old ordinance, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it uh, you know, I I think everything is circular, right? If you look at sales as a whole, you look at so let's look at the generation before me. I'm forty. I'll be forty one this month. And that me, thank you. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, forty one. That's me. Uh, I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me. I'm happy to embrace oh, it. Oh, I'm the generation before you. Well, that, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> when when the generation before me was in their prime, it was either door-to-door or, or phone, telephone, telephone. It was. Right? That's what it was. I feel, I'm offended. I'm still in my fucking Feel prime. free to be offended. I'm fine with you being offended. <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that that was before we were so well-connected. It's a yeah. completely... Different environment now, because the volume is different. The law of averages works differently in 2023 than it did in, 20, in 1975. It's just the way of, of the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, fair news. OK, so again,
0: one of the things that flabbergasts me is the inefficiency and the friction that the division of labor across the entire revenue operation has created. Because Mm. customers become a forgotten afterthought at the end of a long chain of abuse. Most of the employees, in all honesty, uh, want to do something else because the job they're doing is mind-numbingly painful and uh, quite often quite dull because they're not very good at it. They're not well-supported. Nine out of 10 of them don't survive the year. One of them might make it to the end of the second year, but none of them ever hit their stride. The comp plan gets pulled. The... Investors change their focus from revenue to profit, and none of them have a clue how to do that. Um, So it's a tough old job. And the problem is, I think that what we've forgotten is that there's a customer at the end of it. And it's not about making it easier and more efficient for us. It's about finding a way so that at the end of the day, the result that we generate is significantly better than the previous one. Mm. Because we get paid for certain dynamic growth, don't we?
1: Well, we do. But I think if you talk to top performers, especially young top performers, so there's two types of top performers. There are top performers that are veteran top performers that are just gifted at what they do. They have 40 years of experience and you can set them down in any environment and they just know how to do the job. And then there's a different top performer, the cutting edge top performer, the 27 year old phenom that skipped college and came right into sales. And he's been in it for three years, but you just can't catch him. He's on the leaderboard every day yeah. and you have no idea how he's doing it. Those are the two types of leaders. And if you talk to either one of them, what they're going to tell you on both sides of that fence is that they do less better than all these other average salespeople. Yeah. And the reason it's less and better is because they take their time. When I got here, volume was everything for me. John was the one that had to reel me in. Morgan had to reel me in and be like, yo, this is not how we do things. This is your, your product selling. One of the biggest challenges for me was switching from selling a product to selling professional services. That was completely different in my wor- in my brain. And I applied that same volume in the product world to the professional services world. And buddy, let me tell you, I was way off. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, we uh, have to recognize uh, that's our
0: company Mosse, do less but better on purpose. That's right. And I'll well, tell that you that actually, every leader I know will say that that's work. the case for them. Again, I, I think that those sellers are people who reflect. The scientific method, they, they adopt an engineering mindset. Mm. They understand what the job to be done is. And yep. they work out how to get there by eliminating the waste and stopping the friction and preventing themselves
1: from getting in the way. But well, I think they're also open to feedback and they're not afraid to yeah. give feedback. My customer success director, Meg Holsinger, just talked about this ability to like give and receive feedback, right? We get feedback all the time. That's not great feedback. We've changed as a result of that feedback. And it's on us as individuals and as a culture at a company to be able to accept feedback and say, thank you so much. We reward people that want to give us that feedback. I'm fine with that feedback, as long as it's real feedback and not just. Haters yes. and trolls online, you know, they, they run rampant these days. If it's an identity
0: <laughs> but, attack, that's out, off. But totally different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, again, I think part, uh, a large part of this, though, is cultural. Because when we've been conditioned so often to consider failure in role yeah. as a personality defect, and fear of punishment, fear of ridicule, fear of looking stupid, whatever it happens to be, then gets in the way. And I think that inner narrative is a real challenge. So I spend, I, I would say I'd st- up to 90% of my work is around keeping the chatter down and having it serve the individual. Because actually, sales isn't that complex. Even with a complex sale, it's really quite binary a lot of the time. You're trying to work out what's going on. I Once you've they're...
1: identified those truths, then it's either you move forward or you don't. I agree with you. However, and this is like my asterisk there. I think there are different types of sales cycles and they have a general foundation, but they don't all, they're not, not all sales are created equal, right? If my ACV is $500, then chances are my flow is rather transactional because I'm trying to capitalize on as many small closes as possible. However, if I sell to, Salesforce or Amazon or Oracle, some giant monster of a company with 50,000 plus employees, that buying process probably looks a little different. And therefore, my sales cycle probably structured a little different as well. The way that I function in that role looks and feels different. There are more talking heads involved. It's more of a planned approach rather than the transactional rapid fire, you know, quick type of language. Uh, so I think you're right. It is binary. But every sale looks different based on the industry, the vertical and the ICP that you sell best to. And the sooner salespeople, whether they are brand new to the industry or veteran salespeople, learn to structure those environments differently for their prospects, we'll continue to have all these great debates about what works and what doesn't. And they'll all be true. They'll always be true. <laughs> well, again,
0: what, something that is genuinely concerning me is this explosion of technology, the dropping in overall performance, because effectively, I think we've created the conditions where a large proportion of the sales profession is just going to be wiped out by automation, by intelligent websites, you know, Siri and Alexa, to a large extent, marketplaces. And so that's not going to create the entry level that we've had historically. And yeah. that does worry me because if we're not going to get those entry-level sellers coming
1: through, why does it worry you? I feel like you should embrace this. Let me, let me make my well, argument and then you can tell me they, if I've changed your perspective. How about that? Yeah. So my opinion is that this is a good thing because the selection for salespeople will become more rigorous. I think leaders will stop looking for people that just want to come in and go through the motions mm-hmm. and they'll start looking at people that wanna come in and develop as a sales professional and really do this as a career, not a job. We can all agree that at the surface level of, at the entry level of sales, there are a certain type of personas that are attracted to the industry. Some of those personas are hungry people that wanna learn how to do this in an effective and meaningful way so they can build a career and a very healthy future for their families. Other people want to come in and become the wolf of Wall Street overnight, and they're willing to sell their souls in order to do it. That's different, and those personalities work differently when they're going through their sales motions. I think the latter is probably going to go away as a result of this economic shift that we're seeing, and the former will become something of note. People that actually want to come in grow create a brand, maybe become a, go from being unknown to being known and generating revenue as a result. That's the future sure. of sales, in my view. And I don't uh, think AI can do that. I agree. I think AI
0: and humanity should be a partnership. Um, it's not one or the other. But I think those low, um, essentially feature function, uh, order taking type of roles will disappear. And that's not the thing that worries me. The thing that worries me is that we won't have a pathway for new entrants. They won't necessarily have so much access. It's already difficult enough for people to get into um, the tech industry degrees and all of that stuff. So, people who actually probably constitute 80 to 90% of the global talent pool often don't get the opportunity. So, what so- I'm really excited about is the, the opportunity of trying to create the Openings for people who wouldn't ordinarily get into sales.
1: Introverts,
0: for example, okay. more women. Uh,
1: so, so this is where this is where it goes. This is where it happens, right? Yeah. I probably sit on the opposite side of the spectrum of this conversation. I am supportive of the need for a bachelor's degree to entry level sales roles. I am also supportive of gifted salespeople like Jed Marley who decide that they want to go into sales from high school, do it on their own, and earn the right to be that successful young person. The difference is whether or not you're willing to be like Jed and do the work or willing to do something just to try it out, expect great results, not get it, and then claim it's everyone else's fault that you failed. Well, if right? it's not say you're an idiot. The other That's- side of that coin is that the reason why I think that hiring managers are perfectly within their rights to require a degree of some kind Is because I think a degree signifies that this person can be put long term goals in front of them and they can hit them. Number one, they'll complete the long term goals. Number two, this person can be taught, they can learn some shit. That's important because coachability matters. Now, again, I don't think it should be quote required, but I'm supportive if you are looking for that specific characteristic in your sellers. And with 100%
0: in agreement here, what I'm suggesting though is there is a large proportion of the population that doesn't get hired through bias and through disadvantage. I think that's a massive mistake. That I agree with. Sat on a huge global talent pool.
1: Yeah, I, that uh, I agree with, and I support your move there
0: 100%. Okay, so I think we're in violent agreement. We just had a different way of coming at it. So, okay, what are the blind spots that you see uh, first-time managers in sales bring with them and what advice would you give to first time managers in order to ensure that they don't make an ass of themselves and alienate their team
1: okay so first time managers i will tell you what happened to me when i became a first time manager because i made a huge ass of yourself and alienate oh my <laughs> god it was oh my god <laughs> what a jerk like looking back at myself i'm like you are an asshole okay so, so this is how real many talk apologies you still I had a guy who was an underperformer. I had just been promoted to the business development director at a software company and I was the top performing SDR for like 3 years running. So it was like, boom, you should be in this role. Even the director at the time came to me and was like, dude, I just want to get out of your way and let you show these guys how to do it. And I was like, great, man, let's go. He moved to CS and I took over biz dev and there was a guy there who Thought he should have been the choice. And you know what? Like, good for you, man. You've been there like eight months. I've been here three years. But whatever you want to think, totally fine. I get the job. We have our very first one-on-one. And he hands me this book. This is the title of the book, Management for Beginners. (laughs) I'm sure that everyone on this this live right now is like, yo, I would feel slighted, right? I did. I immediately said, dude, do you realize how insulting this is? And he was like, I'm just trying to help you. Now, him and I had it out. He was a bottom level performer. He ended up moving to support and then eventually quitting and moving on to another role. But I could have just said thank you and moved on with my life and kept leading the team, right? Like I didn't have to be a jerk and like poke it and be like, let's have this out. And I think the takeaway here for new leaders is don't get caught asserting some perceived level of authority that you really don't have over people. Your job is to enable and aid people in becoming their best them. That's your job. And if you can't do that and set your ego aside like I had a problem with, you're going to fail consistently, I promise. And what you
0: will do is cost the company an absolute fortune while you scapegoat a bunch of people whose careers and livelihoods you screw up.
1: I could have just said, thank you, Marcus. I really yeah. could have.
0: <laughs> I I, well, I, I've done it myself. And God knows there are so many people I owe apologies to throughout my career.
1: Oh my God, I, I have a laundry list. You don't yeah. want it. <laughs> I, I,
0: I, I, if only I could remember most of them, but they're, I are screwed up so often. I think my brain just deleted them. So what are the questions that salespeople should really be asking when they're going for a job? Because I think a lot of sellers are far too easily taken in and they buy a really shitty job. What advice would you give young sellers to make sure that they don't end up going from frying pan to fire?
1: So I was given an interesting set of numbers to look at early on when I was negotiating my sales contracts, my sales jobs. Because you know, every year salespeople look at the revenue they generated versus what they were paid and they negotiate a new contract. If your company is not doing this with you. There's something wrong right there, right? You should you right. should be doing this, right? So that you can definitely be motivated to make the most out of your sales job. But one of the things that was given to me really early on was know, knowing your sales equation, right? And then knowing your ACV. If you know what your quota is, you might as well go ahead and times that or divide that by three, right? Whatever your quota is, divide it by three. That should be what your pay is, what your compensation is, give or take. The same thing can be said if they give you a pay of X times it times three. That's probably gonna be close to what your quota is. Now you gotta know what your average contract value is so that you can say, I gotta close this many deals to get to that number. Now you can go back and you can look at your sales equation and you can say, I gotta have this many activities a month to get this many contracts out, to close this many deals, to generate this much revenue. And you can back into this number. What are the questions
0: that sellers should be asking themselves on a daily basis in order to improve? What Um, are self-reflection questions?
1: So I'll tell you some things that I think about on a daily basis that help me to be productive every day. I will almost always set aside a few minutes at the end of the day to look ahead. What does tomorrow look like? What does the rest of the week look like? You gotta know your calendar because salespeople actually manage two pipelines. There's a sales pipeline that they manage. And if you're an SDR, this is like people you're prospecting into trying to set meetings with. If you're an AE, it's people in your pipeline that you're trying to pull over the finish line and get a signature. If you're a CS, it's like land and expand. How can I get the most out of this account? Or maybe some other quota that's been put in front of you for revenue. Uh, but they all have these things. It takes time to do that sales pipeline stuff. It takes time. We have another pipeline that we manage. And these are things that are re- that you're responsible for for company growth. Every person has this, right? Can you make the timestamps for this webinar that we did last yesterday? Can you go through and write out a talk track for this upcoming show? These are some of mine that I get. All these things take time. And I manage a sales pipeline. So we have to look ahead and block time off on our calendar in advance for all the tasks that we know are upcoming. This way, if our management, if our leadership, if anybody that wants to hold us accountable for time and say, you didn't hit your number why? I encourage them all the time. Feel free to go back in my calendar. Everything is labeled. You'll know where every moment of my time went. And we can talk about responsibilities whenever you like. Right. That's the way that it should be. If you are keeping your calendar organized and efficiently, then no one will be able to manage your time. You will do that yourself and all of your goals will be hit. But if you don't allocate time for it, it's never going to happen. And it's just going to be one of those things you talk about that never takes place.
0: If it's not in the calendar, it doesn't exist. That's true. Just
1: like that. if it didn't happen in your CRM, it didn't happen in reality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, again,
0: really important question then, because I, I think. If you're going to take a new sales job, I think the most important thing you can do is find the right manager because everybody at the moment wants to change their role to advance and become better and become you know the the person the the better version of themselves that they can be that um, know, well over seventy percent of uh, candidates are citing that as their primary reason for moving so um, let me, let's, let's how talk. do you find great managers?
1: Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Let's break it down and talk about, for me, what a good manager looks like is somebody that actually spends time with me. That's probably the first characteristic, right? You know, I report to several people at Sell Better, and we talk every day, literally every day, whether it's in Slack or on text or on a quick call. We have conversation. John is our CEO and probably one of the most difficult people to get time with. I could call him at any moment, and he will pick up the phone and go, what's up, kid? Because he's Boston. He would, would, what's up, kid? And we would have a great conversation. We've got to make ourselves available as leaders to the people that we lead so that they will follow. And here's the other part of it. Just because you are a leader does not mean you don't have to follow anymore. I think people that have never led don't realize that every great leader that they've ever had learned how to follow first. And they also don't realize that no matter how they hold a leader up on a pedestal, they still follow someone else. They're still striving for growth and development in a different direction. I think as managers, we have to teach people to ride the fence that we ride. I ride a fence every day of my life as a leader. I ride the fence because on one side, there are all these people that wanna be where I am, on my fence, and I reach down and I help them on my fence. And on the other side of the fence, there's all these people that are where I wanna be. And I reach up and I let them help me on their fence. And as long as I just keep riding fences, I'm always gonna be winning. So again, just listen to what James just described. He's organized
0: uh, around the calendar. Everything that is important is in there. And if it's not in there, it's not important. Even my
1: personal stuff.
0: (laughs) He's always in contact with other people. So there's real collaboration and cooperation going on. And there's learning going up and down the organization. Everybody is held to account. And everyone knows that if one person says they're going to do something, you can trust them to do it because there are no surprises and people hold themselves to account the objective is to get better every day it's an incremental improvement so make sure you take this all away because this is the stuff of legend okay so let's then look at some of the other qualities for great managers because i think they have to have a yeah. real appetite for people development
1: i have one of the number one skills that you can develop as a, as a leader Learn how to manage and operate and execute a great one-on-one. Probably one of the most neglected circumstances that managers don't focus on enough is how to do a one-on-one meeting that has people leaving feeling motivated, excited, energetic, creative, feeling positive about the work they do. Having agency. Yeah, even if they're failing, they have to leave knowing you're holding their hand to help them win and not fail. And that is a balance that every leader struggles with in their
0: early stages. Add one more thing, which is that they have to feel that they have the responsibility and the ability to solve their own problem. And it's not a manager's job to do. That is called rescuing. And rescuing- I say
1: this all the time, Marcus, and you'll appreciate the shit out of this. This is something I've been saying for years. And I tell every new seller that I talk to, because almost all the time you talk to sellers, And because they're failing, they have like this list of reasons. Well, marketing didn't give me enough leads, or the SDRs didn't provide enough demos, or I have too much personal stuff going on. And this is what I say to them. No one's job description is to make you successful as a sales professional. That responsibility 100% lies with you. No one else is responsible. Learning is something you do to yourself.
0: Training is something that is done to you, and we don't need, actually, almost all training is an utter waste of money. Well, if you
1: look at the data, our data suggests that training is usually best done continuously and over and over. And the reason is because of how much from a training, and I'm using that as like a blanket statement, like a session of training. I know a lot of sales trainers, they do like one-hour sessions. How much information can you pack into this? Well, some of them will pack like way too much information. Only about 15 to 20% of what you're saying is being taken away from that session, Yeah. right? The rest of it, it kind of has like a trickle effect if it's continuous. And maybe they get good at that 20% and they pick up a few extra things. But the rest of it, it just kind of goes to the wayside. This is true for all trainings, not just sales training, all trainings. This is true. Even like when you go to Taco Bell and you go through the training and they show you how to do all the tacos that they make is still only about 20% resonates. The rest of it (laughs) just goes away. It's the way our minds work. I think trainings should be segregated out. That's why we do it in segments with uh, Meg and Nikki and Leslie and Shelly. That's why we do it in that way, because more gets absorbed and then more gets adopted and more results come in. What's really
0: interesting about uh, learning is the more diverse the locations, the environments, the situations, the more likely the learning is to be embedded, and uh, then you're able to have recall. Because learning it is one thing, but being able to remember and apply it is the other thing. And what fascinates me is how there are so many different stakeholders in training And the users and the customers are not involved in the commissioning of it at all. Um, And the net result of that is that you end up just doing more product or more technique, and the results don't improve. It's insane.
1: Results only don't improve when we stop A-B testing new approaches, because that's what and when we stop prospecting. Prospecting is the number one thing that companies are too lax on. And I think they're lax on it because they see the revenue, right? That's what they see when they do a pipeline. Nobody, You notice how like SDRs don't have pipeline meetings, but AEs uh-huh. do? Mm-hmm. But why is this, right? <laughs> like, SDRs should have pipeline meetings just like AEs. Look at the accounts. What's your last touch? How can we improve upon this? You should have pipeline meetings with your SDRs too. Just my opinion. I know it's more work. Sorry, that's what leaders do. They work, right? <laughs> well, uh,
0: again, I think pipeline reviews should be one-on-one. They shouldn't be a team effort. Because that's
1: nine people looking on whilst one person lies. You know what? I would disagree. And I'm going to push back. I love this. I love that we disagree. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll disagree because I've seen it where one of our trainers will have an open opportunity with someone they're working. And the other seller will say, oh, I actually worked with them at my previous company. There are like, let me, I'll, I'll reach out and tell them that you and I are working. You know, and there's like a collaborative effort there. And then suddenly there's this credibility that is a little bit more bolstered now because there's a personal relationship there. And that's always going to be something that salespeople seek to use to their advantage. Team selling exists in LinkedIn Sales Navigator for that reason. Again, we're in violent agreement. Maybe I need to
0: redefine what I'm saying then. My objection to a pipeline meeting is mostly it's a death march where one person is lying from their work of fiction. And then you hear the same shit happen week after week after week. Oh, yeah, it slipped this month because of uh, the, their cat's hemorrhoids. It slipped next month because of something else and something else. And yeah. by the 12th month, you've got to realize that most of the pipeline is dead, because most of the pipeline actually looks like a pair of old granny knickers. It doesn't look like a thong. Uh, you know, Pipelines should look wide at the top. And Ooh. then get decreasingly narrow, and all the good stuff is in the <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, most salespeople's pipeline looks like an old pair of incontinent brand. riches.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. part of this, part of that is the time management piece that salespeople struggle with. They start a great conversation, they earn an opportunity, and then they go, All right, I got an opportunity. <laughs> Done. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. What they don't do is close that opportunity in a timely fashion, but they report on it on their pipeline meetings over and over because it inflates their number. And it makes them look like they're going to smash that goal that they put in front of them many moons ago. Meg Holsinger, again, our customer success director, historically noted for reaching out and saying, hey, I want to let you know I set our opportunity to close Lost. You let me know if anything changes. Most of the time, like 80 plus percent of the time, they come back and they're like, no, wait, this is where we are. And you get that momentum going again. (laughs) Well, again,
0: I think we might have a little bit of a spat over this. So. You keep talking about time management, and I have a real issue with this, because you cannot manage time. Time just ticks away, and that's it. You have the only thing you can control is behavior. And I think language matters. The words that we use genuinely matter. So I think what we should be focused on is effective use of time and using that for the right behaviors. And what I'm seeing more and more of is this mentality that more is better. More is more, better is better. So coming back to the whole idea of pipeline and so on, I think what we should be doing is focusing on fewer accounts, even with the transactional stuff. I think we should be focusing on our medium term pipeline, because the majority of the business comes after the eighth touch. And I think part of it is that we set the scene with people so uh, psychologically, they've got to transact, transact, transact. But if you focus on your medium-term pipeline, in one month, if it's transactional, or six months, if it's medium-term, or nine to 12 months, if it's long-term, those become short-term. And now you've got a surfeit. Because one of the things that we always teach is that you prospect for choice. And the problem is that when you've got a pipeline full of shit, you don't really have choice. You've got the
1: illusion of it. So illusions are something that salespeople really struggle with. Overall, we uh, my CRO, Christopher Merrill, will often say the lies we tell ourselves, Ah. right? Happy ears, you know? And I think that this is something realistically, we have to come at it as with leaders. We have to start deflating balloons. And I know that sounds like a shitty thing, right? But we have to bring salespeople back down to the ground level. Again, I, I have to reference her one more time. And I think all of our trainers have this habit we walk away, we disqualify way more than we qualify to avoid these types of issues, to avoid yeah. these big cultural conundrums, if you will, right? If you find one thing that happens and then the whole company starts focusing on it and before you know it, everyone's distracted from their goals and we're all focused on this thing and then we miss the goal, right? There is a level of over analytics that's happening right now and it's causing us to think about these cultural things and focus on them. Let me give every company owner a founder a CEO piece of advice if you're in the room right now. Hire someone to worry about that shit for you. <laughs> Let them help you to build the culture that you want and stop wasting your time with that. Instead, focus on your people and developing them. Invest in them, and they will invest in your company being successful. You need that buy-in if you are to win long term.
0: Well, let's end on that note, because that's bloody good advice. So, James, you're looking back through your history and you've got a golden ticket back to 23, and you're whispering in the ear of the idiot James, age 23. What one choice bit of advice would he have ignored but would have been valuable?
1: He would have ignored two pieces of advice. The first one would have been, stop doing all those hard drugs. (laughs) You (laughs) You don't need that shit in your life. It's not helping you. Quit drinking so much. Those two things he would have ignored. The other thing, the second thing he would have ignored was this piece of advice. And I'll tell you, the way that I learned it is sad, but true. I lost a lot of jobs before I realized that I was the problem. ah, And that I had to change who I was as a human if I wanted to find success. I became a lot more pliable at that point once I realized that I could stop doing this and I could start doing this and I would find better results. And that shift in my life changed everything for me. And now I'm where I am. Excellent. James Buckley, thank you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate your time. How can people get a hold of you? You can follow me. I've never met a stranger in my life at SayWhatSales, all one word on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You can try to connect with me on LinkedIn, but I'm rapidly approaching that 30,000 ceiling that they put on you for no good reason at all. And I will accept you if you are part of my ideal client profile. And if not, we can still be friends. No hard feelings, but that's the way it is. James, thank you. You got it, my friend. See you soon. So this is
0: Marcus Cowkey signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, which I'm sure you will have, then please like, comment, share, and tag somebody who'd benefit from it. And James, what's the name of your podcast?
1: Yeah, Make It Happen Mondays airs every Monday with John Barrows and a number of sales professionals that come in and he interviews. What time does it air? Oh, uh, so it airs every Monday, and it varies in time. You can hit Absolutely. it on iTunes, Spotify. Okay. Uh, we, we have a, a production company. Excellent.
0: So in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, Marcus, at laughsiphonlast.com. if you want to talk to me about training or coaching, there'll be a link in the blurb. And if you want to sit in as a guest on my successful selling class, bring a thick skin and DM me now. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.